Well, this morning we come back to what may seem to some of you a dry topic. But I hope that um, this whole discussion of law and grace um, will not be something that you find is totally useless because it's really, um, it is the issue when it comes to the Old Testament and the law and trying to understand the law of Moses and the law which regulated the entire Old Testament, the law that Jesus was under, and just the many references to it in the New Testament. And I know some of you are, are probably sitting out there thinking, I am so confused now, I don't even know what to believe. And, uh, and I'm sorry about that. If that's the case, some people have said, well, I've gotten your tape and I've listened to it eight times and I, I understand a couple things. And so that's good. That is very good. Um, I'm trying to be as clear as I can and deal with one point at a time. The problem is, is many of the issues related to law and grace are interlaced. They overlap. There are all these scriptures and all these different contexts which speak of the law. And so as you go through, I can't address everything I need to address all at one time. So I'm trying to isolate certain truths and um, bring them to you one at a time clearly and then try to explain at the end how they all relate together. So hopefully um, you will learn another piece of the pie this morning that uh, we didn't get to last week. We need to ask ourselves important questions. Just how does the Old Testament apply to New Testament believers or does it? If the Old Testament law, speaking of the law of Moses, does apply, how does it apply? And what does it mean to be under law? And is the New Testament believer not under any law or not just, or just not under the law of Moses? And what does that mean? And what law system is the New Testament believer under if they are not under the law of Moses? These are the questions that we started to address last week, and of course, um, because last week's service was a little shorter due to various issues, this morning we are going to try to look at and unravel a very complicated issue, and that is this. If the New Testament says that the law, we are no longer under the law of Moses, which it does, then how can the law of Moses apply? That is an interesting question, and we are going to drive towards that answer. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to review what we learned last week, and then we will look at a few more purposes of the law. But let's talk about what we learned last week. Last week, we had just enough time to look at law in general. We learned that a law was a regulation, an ordinance, a statute, um, some sort of binding principle that you have to obey. In a biblical sense, God's laws are binding rules regulating our actions and our conduct and come from the Bible, which is the authoritative word of God. In the New Testament, when the word law is used, we learned, it almost always refers to the law of Moses. Now, there is disagreement on whether that just means the law portions of the first five books or the whole five books or basically all the Old Testament, which is governed by the law portions in the first five books. But whatever it is, 
In the New Testament, when the word law is used, you can assume that it's talking about the law of Moses unless there is something in the context which tells you it's referring to a different law. Now, the nation of Israel made a covenant with God, and that covenant was that they would keep the law of Moses given at Sinai. When we, we also learned from 1 John chapter 3 verse 4, and we learned from Romans chapter 6 verses 15 through 19, another very important point about the law, that is this, that there is no sin without law, and neither is there obedience. You cannot sin against God if there is no law to sin against. And you cannot do what is right before God if there is nothing to do right before God with. Law makes both obedience and sinning possible. This is why the Apostle Paul says what he does in Romans 4.15 when he says, where there is no law, there also is no violation. Later in Romans 5.13, Paul said, sin is not imputed when there is no law. Then in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. All of these verses teach us basically the same thing, don't don't they? If there is no law, you can't violate it. If there is no law... Sin cannot be reckoned to you or the consequences of sin. Without law, Paul says, sin is dead. But when the law did come and it said don't covet, then because Paul was a sinner like we are sinners, he then started coveting things and violating the law. If you have no law, there is no violation And sin is not imputed, and sin is dead. The law is given, then the ability to break the law comes with the law when it is given. Sin is made possible. Now what we learn from this is that when Paul says we are not under law but grace, he is not saying we don't have to obey anymore. Remember that the definition of sin that we learned is sin is lawlessness. And what is interesting is that Paul explains that just because we're not under law, the law of Moses, that does not give us the permission to sin all we want and live lawless lives. No, we are still under law. Jesus, when he was here right before his death, said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what he said to his disciples on the eve of his death. And John in 1 John says the same thing. If you love Christ, you will keep his commandments. Paul, the apostle, who is the master of salvation by grace through faith, said what matters is keeping the commandments of God. 
So Paul did not mean when he said we are not under law, that we are not under any law or obligation to obey anything anymore. He is talking about the law of Moses. So we learned about the law of Moses earlier that some laws have been done away with. That is, we don't sacrifice anymore. Uh, We don't keep the civil laws. We don't keep the laws of the clean and the unclean. Those specifically have been done away with, and there are New Testament statements which say they have been done away with. But what about the rest? We know, in a general sense, that the law has purpose. And this is what I want to talk about now, purpose. We've already learned that all Scripture is profitable, right? I mean, and all Scripture means all Scripture, law, Poetry, narrative, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it is profitable for teaching you, for correcting you, and for training you in righteousness. It is all there to build encouragement in you, perseverance in you, hope in you, to equip you for every good work. All scripture in general applies, either in principle or directly. Now, that's what we looked at in general about Scripture, which, of course, would include the law of Moses. But what purpose does the Old Testament, in specific, the law of Moses, have to do with you as a Christian? Or to people who are unbelievers? Let's look at four purposes. These are purposes that I alluded to briefly but that we want to look at in more detail this morning as we try to figure out some of these issues that have to do with law and grace. First turn to Luke 24. Luke 24. We've been here before. This is where Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the disciples. And he's explaining to them some things. But I want you to look for the law of Moses here. In Luke 24:27, Jesus said, "Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, this is actually Luke recording what Jesus did, he that is Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures." Notice, beginning with Moses, who wrote the first 5 books, often called the Torah, the law. And with the prophets, he explained them to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Later, right before his ascension, look down at verse 44. Jesus appeared to the disciples. And we read in verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in, notice this, the law of Moses and the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then Luke says, in the very next verse, he opened their minds to the scriptures, which would include the law, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. That is amazing, isn't it? Jesus went to the law of Moses to show them, this is talking about me. So, one of the purposes is to proclaim Christ. 
In first or in John chapter five, verse thirty nine, not first John, but just John the Gospel, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders thought that by rigidly adhering to the rules of the Old Testament law they could be saved. And Jesus had to tell them, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is these that what? Bear witness of me. They proclaim Christ. You see, the common Jewish belief of the day is that salvation was attained by the works of the law. And you must keep this in mind when you're reading Paul in the New Testament. It is so critical to keep this in mind. You have to realize that in Paul's day, when he was writing, it was almost universally accepted. That is, the false doctrine that salvation could be had by the works of the law was universally accepted. People, Jews believed they could get to heaven by being circumcised and doing their best to keep the law. And Paul, remember, was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And he even said, according to the law, I was found blameless. I did everything I could. The problem is, is those Jews were not keeping the law for the right reason. Neither were most of them keeping it for the right motives, out of love and devotion to God. So they had the purpose of the law wrong, and they had a lot of the motives of keeping the law wrong. So when Paul is in the New Testament, and he's speaking of law, that we are not saved by law, that we are not justified by law, you have to remember that he has all of these Jews who are all around him who believe that in mind. Another text we could go to as proof that the Old Testament proclaims Christ is John chapter 1 verse 45. Listen to what Philip said when he came to Nathanael. John 1:45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, "We have found him speaking of Jesus of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Did you see that? Philip tells Nathaniel, we found the Messiah that Moses in the law wrote about. In Acts chapter 26, verses 22 and through 23, Paul was testifying before King Agrippa. Here he was before Agrippa. And the Jews had tried to kill Paul. And Paul was telling Agrippa how he escaped from the Jews with the help of God. And this is what he says in Acts 26, 22, and 23. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day to testify both to the small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. That the Christ was to suffer... And that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Notice what he said there. I have said nothing but what the prophets and Moses who wrote the law said was going to take place and did take place. He appealed to the law of Moses. All these texts and others show us that one of the grand purposes of the law 
was to proclaim the Messiah, whom the New Testament identifies as Jesus of Nazareth. The second purpose of the law, which we also mentioned briefly before, but we want to look at it in more detail now, is to show us our sin. Paul, speaking of how we are saved, said this in Romans 3, and you can turn there, you're looking at some texts in Romans and Galatians and flipping back and forth here. In Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be closed and that all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Here Paul says, the law closes everyone's mouth, the law makes everyone guilty before God, the law makes everyone in need of a savior so they can be justified by faith apart from the works of the law, because through the law, here's the purpose, comes the knowledge of sin. That's what he says right there. Here Paul takes... This very clear approach that you cannot be saved by the law. The law is there to show you your sin. You see the same thing in Galatians 3. You can turn there. Galatians chapter 3. And again, if you have forgotten, Galatians was written by Paul to refute a group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were these people who said, well, you're saved by grace and kept by works, which really means you're kept by works and saved by works. You can't be saved by grace and kept by works. If you have to be kept, it must be by grace. If you have to be saved, it must be by grace. It's either both of works or both of grace, but it cannot be both. And so Paul is refuting these Judaizers, and look at what he says in Galatians 3, verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Now let me just um, take the big qualifying phrase out of the middle and simplify the verse when it says, Why the law then? Now we're giving a reason. This is telling us a purpose of the law. It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. This verse indicates very clearly that the law was added because of transgressions. Now, there's basically two interpretations of this. One is, is that the law was added to hold sin in check. The problem with this is the law doesn't hold sin in check, does it? We just read from Romans chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, the very beginning, that when the law came, what did sin do? It abounded. Law amplifies the presence of sin. And that's what he's talking about here. You see, even before the law of Moses, there was sin, wasn't there? God verbally told them what to do or what not to do, and men sinned against God. And so the law was written because of the transgressions that are taking place to make it crystal clear that men were violating the law of God and in need of a Savior. So the law was given to show us our sinfulness and a need of a Savior, and it was given to proclaim Christ. A third purpose of the law, which is related closely to the second. It was to lead us to Christ. Not only did it show us our sin and proclaim Christ, it was there to lead us to Christ so that we could be saved. In Galatians 3.19... 
Paul says the law was added until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. What's that talking about? Well, do you remember Genesis 3.15 where God promised that the woman's seed would crush the serpent's head? That was the promise of the seed. Later on, the same promise was made to Abraham that in his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And he goes on to explain that. Christ was the promised seed of Abraham. A seed that would come to die to ransom those who were under the law. Look down at Galatians chapter 3 verse 21. Notice what Paul says here. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. Notice whenever Paul says may it never be, that is the strongest negative statement he can possibly make that he can conjure up from the Greek. Absolutely, positively not is what it means. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law, which tells us that even in the Old Testament, the law was never written to save anybody, nor could it save anybody. But the scriptures has shut up all men under sin. There is the purpose of showing men their sin, purpose of the law, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, that is faith in Jesus Christ, being shut up to the faith, that is in Jesus Christ, which would be later revealed. Therefore, the law, now here's, the, here's a clear purpose right here, has become our tutor or handmaid to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now think about this. Paul says right here that the law was given to show us our sin. It was never intended to save us. It was to show people their sin so that they would see their great need for a Savior and they would act like a handmaid or a tutor to lead them to the Savior so they could be saved. Then he goes on. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to get to that later also. But here we learn that the law of Moses is not contrary to God's promises. The law was never intended to save people. That all men were to find out they were sinners by the law. That the law was to be a tutor or a handmaid to lead them to Christ. And once they came to Christ, they wouldn't need the tutor anymore. Because why would you need the tutor to lead you to something you already were led to? Now, a fourth purpose of the law. The law reveals God's holy standard. This is the final purpose, and we mentioned this briefly before also, but I want to make it clear now. You have to remember that the law of Moses is first and foremost the law of God. That the God who wrote the law of Moses is the same God who wrote the New Testament. He is one and the same God. And his standard is perfection and his holiness is perfect. His righteousness is perfect. And so is the law of Moses. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 8, right before Moses expands and explains all the details of the law and applies them to society that they are going to set up as they enter the promised land, this is what he says to the people. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? And the implied answer is none. No one has a perfect law like the law given by God to the people of Israel. And all the way through the Old Testament, it is described as a perfect law, a holy law, a righteous law, a good law. You know what's really interesting? You can go through the Old Testament. If you have a Bible program or a concordance, you can search this out. Try to find a statement in the Old Testament where somebody says, Lord, I love you. God, I love you. You won't find one. But you know what you will find over and over again? I love your law. I love your statutes and ordinances and precepts. Why? Because they reflect the very holiness and righteousness of God. In Romans seven twelve, after Paul explains how the law caused sin to abound in his life, he says, so then... Now you would think after he said, when, once the commandment came and coveting came and all of a sudden it produced in me and all this sin and sin abounded in my life that the law was bad because it just showed me what a sinner I was. But this is what he says. Right after he says that, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Later in verse 14, Paul says the law is spiritual. In 1 Timothy 1.8, he says the law is good if one uses it lawfully. The law is not bad, it's not sinful. Men are the problem, not the law of God. Now some Christians, because they know about that Galatians passage and the tutor to lead us to Christ, some of them think, well, listen, okay, um... I've come to Christ and there's no longer a need for the tutor. That's what the text says. So I don't need the law anymore. But let me ask you this. Think about this. Does the law still proclaim Christ? Sure. Does the law still show us our sin? Sure. Can the law still be used as a tutor or a handmaid to lead unbelievers to Christ? Sure. Does the law still reveal the holiness of God? Sure. Are those things still important for Christians? Absolutely. See, the Puritans would use the law in this way. They understood that the law presented this perfect holy standard which no man could meet up to. And so one of their tactics in preaching the gospel was to proclaim law first. They would stand up in front of people and go, have you coveted? Have you committed adultery? Have you lusted in your heart? Have you been anxious? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you broke the Sabbath? Whatever. They would, they would lay out before people God's law. And of course, you know what happens when you're sitting out there, you're thinking, no, I don't do that perfectly. And no, I don't do that either. And no, I don't do that. And everybody realized that they are lawbreakers. Then they would preach That God will by no means allow the guilty to go unpunished. And that he must judge you. And then it would put everybody in a desperation. And then they would say, but there is a way out. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And they would preach the gospel of grace. Whereby unworthy sinners who had broken the law of God. Who were under the wrath of God. Could receive perfect 
forgiveness and the righteousness of Christ through faith by God's grace. And that is exactly what we see modeled a lot of times in the New Testament. When Paul was taken to Rome to appeal to Caesar, you remember the instance, the Jews accused him of of a bunch of things. They took him um, before the council and they found nothing wrong with him, but the Jews insisted that he be imprisoned. And so Paul appealed to Caesar, being a Roman citizen. And remember that he was taken to Rome. Well, when he was taken to Rome, he was put under a house arrest before he could stand before Caesar. And while he was there, the Jewish leaders discovered that he was being brought there from Jerusalem, that the Jews somehow had a problem with him. And they didn't know what the problem was, but they were very curious. And so Paul, under house arrest, decided to take this opportunity to do a little evangelism. How normal for Paul. And this is what happens in Acts 28-23. Listen to this. When they had... Set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. Now, these are all Jewish leaders. These are all expert, you know, law people, Jewish leaders. And they came to him in large numbers, all to see this guy who was under house arrest. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from the four spiritual laws. No, not quite. The text says from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Notice his material there. The law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Paul preached the gospel that saves people. A lot of people have this false notion that the Old Testament is inadequate to lead somebody to Christ. Well, listen, when Paul was preaching here, he preached to them the gospel from the Old Testament. The same thing happened with Agrippa. The same thing happened with Timothy. Remember what it says in 2 Timothy 2 or 3:15 that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which were able to give you wisdom leading to salvation. So the Old Testament proclaims Christ. It shows the holy standard of Christ. It shows us our sin and our need for a Savior. Now, what about the law of Moses? I mean, we've been dodging around the law of Moses the whole time. I keep clarifying things and qualifying things. And you're wondering, you know, just say it. Whatever it is. I'm going to say it now. Are we under... All the law of Moses? Are we under part of the law of Moses? Are we under none of the law of Moses? And what does it mean to be under law? This is what I want to look at next. I want to look at the end of the Mosaic law system. We already looked at Galatians 3.19. And there was a little phrase in there. Do you remember? The law was given until the seed should come. Now, when it says the law was given until, what does that tell us? It tells us that the law had a specified duration of time, that God intended the law to function until something happened. 
And what was that? The coming of Christ. And guess what? Christ came. Guess what? We are under the law of Moses. We learn from Galatians 3, 21 through 25, that the law was to serve as a tutor to lead us to Christ. And Paul says, once you get to Christ, you don't need the tutor. And the tutor was the law of Moses. The author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 10 speaks of the law and all these regulations were imposed until the time of reformation, speaking of the time of Christ. Now when we talk about being under law, what are we talking about? We're talking about being under the obligation. For instance, um, you know, we have laws here. We have federal laws and state laws and you are under obligation. You are under the laws of California, under federal law to obey what the law says. That's what it means. The New Testament clearly says we are not under the law of Moses. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait, 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 wait. Jack, you've been trying to convince us for weeks that the Old Testament still applies and the law of Moses is over the Old Testament and, and uh, that you know all scripture is practical for teaching and reproof and blah, blah, blah. What are you telling me? Am I telling you now that we're not under law and that none of it applies? No, I'm not telling you that, but I'm telling you we're not under the law of Moses. Now, I can't answer everything right there. I'm going to. I'm not going to leave you here hanging. Just hang on. Hang on. Being under law means that you are under the binding regulations of a law system or a law code. We are not under the law system that Moses gave to Israel, that they were to have in the promised land as a theocracy under the covenant of Deuteronomy. We are not responsible to obey the law of Moses as a law system or a law code. And it may seem like I am trying to undo everything I've said, but I'm not. And I'll explain here in a minute. But know this, we're not under the law of Moses. Now how could I say that? Since I argued from the scriptures that there is still law, there is, and that we are still responsible to obey God and his laws, there's commandments, and that's true. But we are not under the law system of Moses. In Romans chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, Paul is defending the false doctrine that Christians are, you know, antinomians or lawless ones. That is, they can sin all they want because they are not under the law of Moses. And this is what he says. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, that is the law of Moses, but under grace. Now listen to this. What then? Shall we sin, break God's law, because we are not under law, but grace? May it never be. What did he just say there? Okay, we can't, we have to obey the law, we're not under law to obey it. Help! There is a new law system. But it's not the law of Moses. The law of Moses has come to an end as a binding law system. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. Verse 4. Paul is speaking about the law of Moses. And this is what he says. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. So that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. 
But now we have been released from the law, having died to that to which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Remember, he's addressing people who thought that all you had to do is just do the regulations. Do this, don't do that, and just do them, and you'd get to heaven. That is a form of just sheer, rote moralism, legalism. But Paul says, listen, we have been saved by grace through faith. And Paul says, we have died to the law. We have been released from the law. That is the law of Moses. And that is why we are no longer under the law of Moses. He makes that crystal clear. In Romans 10.4, he says, for Christ is the end of the law. That is the law of Moses for righteousness to everyone who believes. There is no one who can keep the law perfectly. No one who can obey God perfectly. No one who can get to heaven perfectly. The law merely amplifies the presence of our sin, but it does not save us. And the law system of Moses, which was intended for the people of Israel in the land under the covenant of Deuteronomy as a theocracy has been done away with. It's no longer a binding law system. Before Christ, men were under the law of Moses trying to live a life they could never attain to. But after Christ... After they place their faith in him, they're given Christ's perfect righteousness. And you could substitute for that word righteousness, perfect law-keeping. You see, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Christ gives you his perfect obedience to the law, that righteousness which he attained to, which no one else ever has. And so in Christ, you are able to keep the law, but only because you are in him and you receive his perfect righteousness. This is why Paul says what he does in Romans 3. Turn there, verse 21. This is the end of the section where Paul has spent three chapters talking about how sinful men were from like verse 17 of chapter 1 on. He says, listen, if you're a Jew, you're sinful. If you're a Gentile, you're sinful. If you're a moral person, you're sinful. If you're a human, you're sinful. And then he says this in verse 21 and following. Look at Romans 3. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. This is great. He says the law and the prophets witness to the righteousness of God. Even the righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift, something you receive with no strings attached that you don't buy or purchase or work for, by his grace, receiving what is undeserved, through the redemption, through the purchasing of Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, that is a word that means he satisfied the wrath of God in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance, whose righteousness? God's righteousness. Because of the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Now just stop there. What is this? What is this saying? It's this. God is so holy and so righteous that even though he is a loving God and he is a compassionate God and a gracious God and a merciful God, he will by no means allow the sin to go unpunished. Every single sin will be punished. 
And since every sin is an infinite offense to a holy God, it must be punished to the utmost. And so every single person on the face of the earth is an offense to God and his wrath abides on them until they come to Jesus Christ because God is so just. How he demonstrated his justice is that he became a man and the father crushed his only son with the weight of all of our sins putting him to grief so that you and I could be justified by what Christ did, not what we did. This is what it means that he is both just and he demonstrated his justice in the execution of his own son in our place. Verse 26, for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. Here's that strong contrasting statement again. Do we nullify the law through faith? Absolutely, positively not. On the contrary, we establish the law. How? Because when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, what do we receive from him? His perfect righteousness or law keeping is credited to our account. So the law is finally established like it never could be on our own sinful natures. That's how we establish the law. Turn over to Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Again, Galatians is a book where Paul is refuting the Judaizers who said a man could be saved by grace and justified by works, and so he is undoing that. And look at Galatians 3, verse 10. Paul says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things in the book of the law to perform them. What curse is Paul talking about here? The curses of Deuteronomy. Read Deuteronomy 28 and 29 and 30 and 31. See, the covenant that God made with the people of Israel that they agreed, that they placed themselves under, the old covenant was a covenant of blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. Here, what Paul is saying is that as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. Why? Because you can't keep them all. But notice, verse 11, Know that no one is justified by law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. He quotes Habakkuk 2. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Now notice what happens here. Here's this curse. It's abiding on all these people who are under the law. Christ redeemed us or purchased us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every man who hangs in a tree. What happened there? 
Jesus took those curses that were due the people of God and he received all those curses upon himself. And so to speak, he took the stinger out of the law. You can read it at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Christ took the curse upon himself. So that now, even if we did obey, disobey the law, we still don't receive the curse. Christ took the curse upon himself. In order that, verse 14, Christ, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And he says we get to receive the promises promised to Abraham. Christ taking the curse upon himself. But we are not under the law. That's why Galatians 5.18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And again, speaking of the law of Moses, we are not under that law system. Now, here's the big question, the one I asked you at the very beginning, and now I'm going to clarify it. And so you just bear with me for a couple minutes. I want to clarify the apparent contradiction in what I said so far about the law of Moses. How does all Scripture apply in principle generally? How does all Scripture profit you and do all those things we have learned? How does the law of Moses have these purposes? And how can we go to the law and say, well, it says here in the law of Moses, do not murder, and we can't murder, so it still applies. And yet, how can that be true if we are not under the law of Moses, that it has no binding authority over us? Let me give you the answer. I used to live in Idaho, and Idaho has building codes. And the Idaho building code is distinct from the California code. The Idaho building code is not in force in California. We are not under the Idaho law code here. We are under the California law code. But even though we are not under the Idaho code, there are many similarities between the two codes. Many details are identical, and as a matter of fact, many of them overlap. For instance, when you're wiring up a little junction box, you know, to make a plug-in in the wall, when you're wiring the wires in there, you have to let the wires stick out at least six inches. It's called the six-inch rule. Well, guess what? That applies in California and it applies in Idaho. Both law systems have that same law. So I can tell you, you know the regulation in Idaho about the six-inch rule? It applies to you as a California. Why? Not because we are under the Idaho law code. We are under the California law code, but there is overlap there. Now, the other thing you need to understand is why is the California law code and the Idaho law code so similar? It's because they both are derived from the national law code. And the national law code is the code that everybody uses to base their individual state codes from. So I am not under the law code or law system of Idaho since I moved to California just as I am not under the law of Moses now that I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And I am under the California law code or system just as I am under the new law system in Jesus Christ, which we will look at next week. But there are similarities between these codes because the foundation 
is the same, the national law code. Now, what is the national law code of the Old and New Testament? Well, let me remind you. Do you remember what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the foremost commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now what's interesting is when you go to the New Testament, guess what the New Testament law system is based off of? Love God and love your neighbor. You see, the reason there is such overlap is the, two found, is the foundation of both the Old Testament law system and the New Testament law system have the same two major laws. Do you remember what we learned when we were studying Timothy and we were talking about law? We said those two laws, when you go to the Ten Commandments, are expressed, aren't they, in those Ten Commandments. The first four deal with loving God directly. The last six deal with loving God by loving your neighbor, right? And that all the rest of the laws, the 613, I didn't count them, but somebody else did, laws in the Old Testament are all explanations of the ten, which are manifestations of the two. And you can say, that those two commandments, to love God and love your neighbor, are also the same two commands that the New Testament law system is based on. What is that New Testament law system? That's what we're going to learn next week. But know this, you are not under the law of Moses... Yes, there is overlap. So I can go to the law of Moses and say, do you see this law here that says don't murder? You can't murder. That applies to you. That applies to you. Why? Because it's in the New Testament law system. All of it applies in principle concerning the character and nature of God, but not at all of it applies directly because we are no longer under the law of Moses. So next week we'll look at the new law system. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just what we learned this morning, and I know that we're just covering a lot of very technical and theological issues. I pray that you would bless people and help them to understand, and Father, help me to communicate clearly. Father, I ask that you would give people encouragement, knowing that um, your, your truth is based off of simple, foundational principles of loving you and loving our neighbor. And that is why the New Testament says, love is the fulfillment of the law. And Father, we thank you for all that you have given us this morning. We thank you for being able to worship you and pray now that as we leave today, we would have your truth in our heart and that it would change us and make us more like Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.